<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're the storytellers. Literally, the way we sell cheese is by telling the stories of the humans that made them. For us, that's a huge piece of the pie. And I don't think that the cheese is marketable without talking about the humans behind the story. So meeting them is a really, really big deal for us. Hi, welcome to Being Home with Hunker. I'm Lori Gunning Grossman. Okay, so just in time for this season of entertaining, we're talking about cheese and charcuterie boards with Sarah and Boo, the founders of Lady and Larder, a boutique cheese shop in Santa Monica, California. If you're unfamiliar with their boards, you really need to go to their website and see their cheese, charcuterie, fruit, and vegetable boards, which, trust me, are true pieces of edible art. Sarah and Boo, who are twin sisters, grew up in the world of hospitality and in a family who connected over cooking and sharing meals. Now, with Lady and Larder, they say that they're storytellers. The way they sell cheese is by telling the stories of the humans who made them. And for Sarah and Boo, this is a huge piece of the pie. In this conversation, they share expert tips on how people can build their own cheese and charcuterie boards, including how much food you'll need and why it's important to source locally and seasonally when possible. They also share some thoughts on pairings, which drinks pair best with certain cheeses, and the board trend that they're excited about right now. And on a personal note, I am too. Okay, so, oh yeah, we also touch upon one hot button topic. How should we be wrapping and storing our cheese? Dun, dun, dun. So let's welcome our guests, Sarah Sims and Boo Sims Hendricks from Lady and Larder. You are from the world of hospitality. Your grandfather had many restaurants, and you still have restaurants in your family. So it's in your blood. And you guys have said that you've had every position in the restaurant business. So when you created Lady and Larder, what was the impetus for that for you? I feel like we wanted to do something together. We knew we wanted to work together. That was a dream for us. And 
I had been working as a private chef for about 10 years. Boo was doing a lot of creative and design work. And we kind of brought the two things together, the culinary and the design. And Lady and Larder was born. It was something that didn't exist that we wished existed. So we built it. I love it. And then, Boo, did you guys have a background in cheese as well? Or did you guys have to do a deep dive into cheese? I mean, Sarah had at that point been private chefing and gone to culinary school and been around. And I I mean, obviously, both of us cheese fans for life. We love cheese. But I think Sarah had kind of dug deep into it, I think, for a chef. And then I think at this point in your life, your cheese, your level of cheese knowledge is, I think, you know, I think we both definitely learned a lot more in the last few years than we did before. Sarah is also very involved in the cheese community and works with a lot of different makers. And mm. yeah, I mean, we, we've been cheese fans since we could eat. So yeah. definitely cheese was not a new thing when we started the shop. We, we were cheese lovers from the start. Yeah. Now, did you guys, when you were growing up, like, did your family have the fancy cheeses or did you guys have like the port wine cheddar cheese from the grocery store, which is what like my family had. My dad loved. My dad like, loves it. Right? Yeah, our dad was also an easy cheese fan, you know, out of the spray yep. can. Yep, same. Uh, we, we, I'm not judgy when it comes to cheese. Like, there is a place for all cheese. Yeah. I love American cheese, like, when you want that melt. But to answer your question, our household had, I think, the full spectrum. My parents always used really nice. I remember, like, we had a lot of blue cheese and salads growing up and a lot of things that were probably, and there's kind of like this spectrum of, like, user-friendly cheeses and some that are not so. And so we had everything from, I swear, the port cheese and the um, like nicer yeah. stuff. And so we, we really appreciated it. And But also when we were younger, the American cheese industry, I don't want to say didn't exist, but it really didn't. Like it's only about 25 years old. Oh, really? So just in the last 25 years has American cheese become like what it is. Right I now. mean, it, I think it's at the cusp of being like something super great. Yeah. And there's been a couple decades under our belt now of making good cheese here domestically, but it's not something that's always existed. Like in, I would say the first 15 years of our life, the majority of fancy cheese you were eating was imported cheese. Yes. Always. Right. Or like a processed, right. even the blue cheese that we ate, I can still picture it. It's like, what was that brand? It was like Treasure Cave. Yeah. You know, it like came in pre-crumbles in a container. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. And then when it was like fancy blue cheese, it was like a piece of Stilton. It was, it was not domestic by any means. It was always an imported product. Right. And our shop is 100% domestic. So we have a business that probably couldn't have existed 30 years ago. So are you traveling all around and meeting cheesemakers throughout the United States and getting your hands in it as well? That's the dream. We like to do that as much as we can. The last couple of years, it hasn't been as possible. So we've done a lot of digital meetups and Zooms and meeting people on screens like we are right. with you today. Right, right. But the dream is to travel and yeah, visit we, everyone in person when we can, for we sure. We just the Petaluma area. Yeah, Northern California is like recently, a mecca for cheese. We had yeah. such a good few days just with some of our favorite cheesemakers and just really nice to like spend time with these people and meet their families and see where they live and what their community's like and kind of understand what their business model is. And for some people, for a lot of people, it's like family run businesses. You have multiple generations and different people involved. And it's really cool just to understand. I think for us, we consider ourselves kind of the middle person in helping people learn more about where the product comes from. Yeah. And so it's nice when we can experience it firsthand. Yeah. And I would really like take middle person and go to the next place, which is like, we're the storytellers. Literally the way we sell cheese is by telling the stories of the humans that made them. For us, that's a huge piece of the pie. And I don't think that the cheese is marketable without talking about the humans behind the story. So meeting them is a really, really big deal for us. Yeah. I have to say, as a person, me, who loves cheese, it sounds like a dream. 
It is. You guys must be having fun. Here's a statistic that I read about, and I wrote this down. According to data collected from Eventbrite, the number of events in 2022 dedicated to charcuterie board building increased by 89% over the last year and grew nearly 300% from 2019. So this is amazing. People are wanting to make those cheese and charcuterie boards. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit about this. Do you guys, by the way, do you call it a charcuterie board? If it's a charcuterie board, is it only meats or can it be cheese too? Technically, yes. I love that you asked that question because the word is misused misused on the internets. Um, To be a charcuterie board, there has to be charcuterie. Do you have to have meats? Yeah. Geared meats of some kind, pate, salami. If it's a vegetable board, it's not a charcuterie board. If it's just cheese, it's not a charcuterie board. So yes, the term we love, the education part is huge. And it's a fun word to say, so I get why people like it. But not (laughs) all boards are charcuterie boards. Your candy board is not a charcuterie board. It is not. It is not. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's just a board. candy board. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, sounds amazing. Yeah. With Lady and Larder, your cheese boards are insanely gorgeous. Through Hunker, we've had a few of them at some of our events at Hunker House, which is in Venice. And they're so beautiful. And, like, you make it look so artistic. There's honeycomb and, like, berries and herbs, flowers. Like, it's just in there, like, stacked on each other. It looks so good. So I want to get into this a little bit because I feel like there is an art to making these boards. Can you share a few tips on how to create a beautiful cheese and charcuterie board? Maybe walk us through the process a little bit. Maybe share some tips on how people can build these boards, especially during this holiday season. I feel like number one is sourcing intentionally. So taking the time to go out and support the makers who you want to, like, don't just, you know, go to your basic grocery store and buy everything there. If it's at all possible, go support your local baker for the bread or the crostini and the baguette and go to your local cheese shop and find out what's ripe and amazing that day. That's kind of, for me, the biggest difference about buying cheese at a grocery store versus a cheese shop with a cheesemonger is that you're going to tell that monger, I'm serving this cheese on Saturday and they're going to be able to go into the case and pull what is maturing and perfect for you on Saturday versus when you're buying at a grocery store, they're just kind of like bulk cutting a wheel at any phase of its life. And you're getting it Mm. either pre-cut that's been sitting in wrapped in plastic wrap. You're just not getting that kind of attention to detail that you get when you talk to someone that's tasting and cutting and working with cheese all day. Mm, Okay. I love it. You can also provide the cheesemonger with some information about like who your audience is. I think they can help direct you in the types of cheeses too, because there is such a big range. You know, you have, I think, your gateway kind of crowd pleaser cheeses and then the stuff that's a little more um, specific to certain tastes, right? Right. And then for the accompaniments, we love working just as seasonal and as local as possible. So if you're not sure what's in season near you, we always recommend finding a farmer's market because that's the best way to get the pulse on what's going to taste the best. That's going to be the best. So for us right now, it's like you persimmons and all the varieties of apples and pears that are being harvested. That stuff is going to be like citrus our citrus is creeping citrus in. Citrus is starting yeah. to creep in. Yeah. The first Kishu mandarins were at the market this morning and caracaras. And then in a month or two, we'll see blood oranges. And that's how we kind of decide what to put with the cheese. We try and pick things that are in season because they ultimately taste best. Hmm. Oh, my God. sounds amazing. And then do you feel like there's anything that sort of like tips it over the edge as far as like the way it looks, the presentation and the artistry? Is it you add some herbs on top or is it 
if you always add some edible flowers, it will be amazing. Or do you have anything like that? <laughs> I love flowers on everything. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a big part of it is we really celebrate the imperfections and what kind of makes things different, like leaving stems on certain things or, mm. you know, celebrating shapes and, and things that kind of draw the eye and look a little different. I think with cheese boards, that's kind of what makes them look kind of romantic and, and special is that they have this um, this kind of imperfect perfection thing going on, which is really, really lovely. And, yeah. and each one's different. They're like a floral arrangement. Not everything is so overly structured and exactly the same each time. We use weight specs when we're building out the portions, but the mixture of the items that are on it is going to change every day. And the layout's going to be slightly different depending on the artistry of the person that's making it. And, you know, we kind of have like a base standard and then each board that I make is different. I don't think I've ever made one that's exactly the same in six and a half years. So there that, are certain things like odd numbers look really great, you know, like visually, things, yeah. visually when you're picking out. You and know, fresh herbs always make it feel pulled together at the end. And this time of year, everyone's got like poultry herbs and then you know, sage or rosemary, those like sturdier herbs do a really beautiful job of adding a little bit of like finesse and polish to the the finished board. A big note for that is like anything we put on the board, we just make sure for the most part is it's edible. Um, so as far as like plants and things that you'd be adding, you want to just make sure they're safe to eat. Putting them yeah, and that's a good note for the flowers. If you're working at the farmer's market or you're buying flowers, edible flowers from a farmer, you just want to make sure that you're buying something that's no spray and asking them the methods in which they were grown. That kind of goes back to the thoughtful sourcing. And that's with everything on the board is like, don't be afraid to ask questions and ask for samples and try the fruit. Try things. Try things. Yeah. yeah, because that's how you ultimately are going to end up with the best products. And then when you guys are creating these boards or through your company, do you also work with pairings? Like, is that something that you have also learned about as far as like what goes well with the cheese and the charcuterie or even a veggie board as far as like wine? or like kombucha, beer. How do you recommend the drinks for these? So my general rule of thumb is drink what you like and don't worry too much about the pairing. In the summer, you're, I'm only drinking rosé. Like that's, okay. I don't care what I'm eating, it's rosé, right? Yeah. If you're worried, really concerned about the pairing in general, I think the most food-friendly, cheese-friendly wine in existence is probably like a high-acid white, like an Albarino. Yeah. Always delicious, always goes great. In general, if you're working with whiskey or beer and you're worried about the pairing, a good rule of thumb is to pair based on intensity. Mm. So if it's a big ABV beer, darker, huge, you're going to go with something bigger on the cheese side. Mm. That tends to work well. Like I wouldn't serve a blue cheese with a really delicate wine or champagne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just wipe it out. It's going to wipe your palate out. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to get to taste what you're hoping for there. So yeah, you know, another good rule yeah. is like don't serve anything you haven't tried. Like try everything, get a feel for what you think is good and what you think is good. Your guests are probably going to think is pretty good. And at the end so. of the day, if it's like delicious food and wine and your friends, nobody cares about the pairing. You're having a great time. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. But it is fun if you want to mess around with pairings and you're really into the idea of that. Seasonality, I think, is a good theme. To... But also, like, sometimes it's a big difference on whether you put the cheese in your mouth first and then you chase it with the sip of the beverage versus having the beverage first and then a bite of cheese. Or sometimes they're better together in your mouth oh. at the same time. All three of those interactions can be completely different, the order in which you're eating the combination. Yeah. So play around with it. We come up with new combinations that we like all the time. And like we said, it's all very seasonally focused and mood focused. Like, what are you in the mood for today? 
you're looking to be comforted by your cheese board you know yes. what is it what's the vibe is it cold outside yeah. that's kind of what we go with what yeah i'm always looking to be comforted by my cheese board <laughs> right? I, I do want to be comforted by my cheese board <laughs> <laughs> i do <laughs> carmax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you because at carmax we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car you should love your car That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Now, how do you figure out how much cheese per person or how much food to put on a board per person? Well, it depends on what else you're serving. So it was, is it going to be an appetizer portion? And then you're like putting this out followed by a full meal. Yeah. Is the cheese board the actual meal? Because that can happen for us, which we do that all the time. Cheese board is dinner. So it depends on, um, generally, if you're serving it as an appetizer, okay. it, maybe it's the only appetizer and you're going into a dinner, mm. you just need a couple of ounces per person, like maybe two ounces of cheese and an ounce of charcuterie with a couple of accompaniments. I think most people that don't work in food have a really hard time figuring out portioning And that goes with like shopping in general. It's like sometimes hard to figure out what the right amount is. Mm. It's 100% of the time less than you normally think. I sincerely like hope that I think if you practice quality over quantity, especially depends on the cheese you're picking. If you're buying really rich cheese, you don't need very much to make impact and to like satiate someone. Right. Again, depends on the combinations and like what other things are at play. But I also, I tell people this with wine too, like if there's extra, are you going to be sad about it? Absolutely not. You can never have too much wine wine around the house and extra cheese. So if you're worried, get a little bit extra, but you really just need a couple ounces per person. Yeah. And if there are leftovers, are you proponents for wrapping up the cheese a certain way, like with the waxy cheese paper? Are you ever saying, like, do not wrap it in plastic wrap, please? This is such a hot button topic. I I love that you asked that because there's very opinionated sides on how to store cheese. And in general, (laughs) cheese is a living breathing thing with like live microbes on the surface. So whatever you wrap it in, it can take on the flavor of, which is why there's a lot of people that are like, don't wrap it tightly in plastic wrap because A, the cheese can't breathe and it'll start to taste like plastic. True, true, true. But 
short term, completely fine. If you're going to like wrap it and then eat it tomorrow, you're fine. Mm. If you're going to be storing cheese for a little bit, I always tell people that drawer that says like the deli meat drawer, a lot of those have humidity settings. If you can control the humidity, cheese likes like 85 humidity reading. It doesn't want to be too dry. It'll dry out and crack. Yeah. It likes a little bit of moisture. It likes air circulation, but not too much because that can be like damaging to a delicate rind. But in general, if you can put it in a container that has breathable, that's why the wax paper is popular. It's like it's porous. It's breathable. It doesn't impart too much flavor on the cheese. Mm. And if, if you have something you're buying that's maybe you go to the grocery store and it's like a hunk of Parmesan that they cracked the wheel 30 days ago and it's been wrapped in the case for a month yeah and you get it home and you unwrap it and it sort of smells like saran wrap which is very possible because it's been wrapped in the plastic for a couple of weeks then all you do is you just take the dull side of your knife and you just scrape the very top edge any edge that's been touching the plastic off very tiny amount just the surface Mm. and that should clean the cheese up entirely that's the Mm -hmm. same if you see like anything funky on your cheese like mold and cheese are very much like friends friends yeah (laughs) so it's not something to be afraid of Mm -hmm. obviously if you don't like the smell of it and you know something's very off to you don't be scared to not eat it but it won't hurt you like most cheese has some form of mold happening on it yeah and then anything you store with i think i've made this mistake before like at the end of the night if i try to put all you know you're just trying to like wrap your board up like what's left over and if you put anything like briny like olives or pickles your cheese will taste like like olives and yeah. pickles and so you don't want anything like that kind of touching it and separate that stuff and if you yeah. do have a, a strong really pungent cheese like a washed rind cheese Blue cheese is interesting. You always want to wrap that separate because the mold on your blue cheese can jump if it's wrapped in with other, like a cheddar or something. Yeah. But yeah, those are just like basics. You can definitely, if your cheese has not been cut into, like if it's a wheel of like a brie style cheese, you can ripen that in your fridge at home. And every day that it sits in your fridge, you'll get a little bit oozier and riper. Mm. And you can decide at what date and time you like to eat yours. Do you like it oozy and slightly funky earthy? Do you like it firm and mild still on the young side? All it's complete preference, but we always want people to know the golden rule, which is to enjoy your cheese and charcuterie at room temperature. So pull it out an hour before you're going to eat it. If you're going to do anything, do that so that you get like all of the flavor and the smell and the texture. It's totally different. Yeah. It's like drinking a very cold wine. And as it warms up, you get all the aromas coming out of the glass. Same with cheese. You want it to really show off all of its best parts. And when it's at room temperature, it can do that. Love it. I was going to ask you about that, how long it could sit out before you, you know, you serve it to people. So at least an hour. At least an hour. Let it get to room temp. Beautiful. Yeah. Then the flavors really come out. Oh, I love it. Are you guys making boards for your own personal use all the time? Are you like entertaining and breaking out the boards? My cheese at home tends to be like the exact opposite of what you see here. It's like a very simple, like just a big chunk of cheese on a plate. Purist. It's very purist. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Usually we pick one thing at a time and really like yeah? kind of get into it. it. It depends. I feel like right now. It's like, mood based. Yeah. It's mood based. Okay. Yeah. We'll do like vertical tastings too. Sometimes it's fun if you have a maker that does a cheddar that's six months old, two years old and five years old to serve all three together so you can taste the cheese at different ages. And yeah, it's fun. that's fun. I love it. Depends on the mood. Yeah. So fun. So are you predicting any board building trends in the new year? I mean, how about those butter boards? 
Yeah, for the people that are into the butter boards, that's great. It's about giving butter the place it deserves in the spotlight. Because in our shop, we treat butter like cheese. Like mm. literally in some of our pairings, we'll serve it as a course where you just are eating the butter. And a lot of people look at us like, you're just going to have me eat this butter. I'm like, just try it. And you know, as Americans, <laughs> we're used to like either melting it or putting a tiny or bit on toast, but not low like- Low quality butter. Right. And like real proper, like cultured butter that's made with beautiful salt deserves a lot like cheese to be respected like cheese yeah <laughs> so i'm excited that there's been attention put on butter just so that people start asking questions and looking into producers that make really rad butter yeah butter needed rebrand for a while i feel the like. europeans have always understood but, but that, here we just had such margarine yeah yeah like incredible. spray can't believe it's not butter so yeah. much everything that wasn't butter but once you have good butter yeah i dare you to try to eat anything else it's just like it's not the same yeah yeah same with good cheese same with good wine yeah. all the things yeah. well i am with you on the butter and <laughs> yeah. i did try making a butter board with my son we, he was going to a party so we made a butter board it was delicious i have to tell you <laughs> okay. i'm all for delicious butter we drizzled a little honey and i don't know just a couple little things yeah. on it and it yeah. was heaven yeah. yeah yeah the fact that butter is getting some attention is just yeah. very pleasing to me yeah <laughs> but like the good butter we're talking about yeah the good butter the good butter i mean if you're gonna just be eating butter straight make it the good butter yeah <laughs> <laughs> and if people are wondering like what the good butter is come to our shop we're going to introduce you to something that's made by a friend of ours up at step ladder creamery in cambria they make a beautiful cultured butter that'll just like knock your socks off. Um, Vermont Creamery makes a great one that you can find at most big grocery stores, the cultured butter that's lovely. Mm -hmm. Vermont. There's a couple of incredible domestic producers of butter. You can also make your own butter at home. You can go next level and make your own butter. But <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of really great butter out there. So yeah, dabble, ask questions. Yes. Oh, I like it. I know we talked a little bit about hospitality being in your blood and everything. What were family meals like when you were growing up? It was like a team thing. And it was amazing. Our parents were great entertainers. I think anytime anyone came over, they always had like something to put out. Cheese, you usually. Know, it was like yeah. olives and cheese. Or they'd always offer a drink when someone came in and it put food out like automatically. And so we grew up kind of around that and watching what their form of love and hospitality looked like. And then for dinner... We always had Sunday dinner was kind of like you had to be home. So like if you were friends' houses or anything else, like Sunday was a mandatory family dinner night at our house. And we all cooked together. Like everyone had a station. I think since we were, were kids and could reach the counter, like someone was on salad, someone was on a different one. And we'd rotate um, and kind of all take turns and we cooked together and then we ate together. And But I think what was so interesting is during the week, our mom had her like rotation as most. She was a stay-at-home mom who like had her like 15 recipes and those were her home runs. And those were her like Monday through Friday <laughs> rotation. And then our dad, this is back when like Gourmet Magazine existed, mm. would pull recipes from a giant, beautiful cookbook collection. But they loved, I remember ripping pages out of Gourmet Magazine and we'd collect them on the counter and then we'd all pick which ones. And the weekends when our dad was off of work, we'd cook from magazines and recipes, all experimental. And then we'd vote at the end if it was a keeper or not. It was just like, we all thought that was normal. We did that a lot. It was awesome. Yeah. And they also, our parents, I feel so lucky. They, they took us out and let us experience a lot of 
different cuisines and very nice restaurants. Like they let us explore and experience food with them. Not that we weren't left at home with the sitter on some nights, but we got to eat a lot of really special food and really see the magic of like what a restaurant could be. And I think they always kind of instilled in us, you know, you try everything. Like you're allowed not to like something and not have it, but like anything that we have, you have an obligation to at least try it. And then you can have an opinion on whether or not you like it. And so we grew up, I think, very curious and open to exploring all types, all types of food. Always. Yeah. And in general, if we didn't like something, my my thought to this day is like, I just haven't had it the right way yet. Right. <laughs> I'm not. There must be something I'm missing on how to how to do it. There isn't much that I, I don't like. Uh. But when we were about 12, our parents moved up into Northern California, you know, had a little bit more property. And our dad is a vintner. He makes wine and grows grapes. And my mom has an incredible garden and they make their own olive oil. They're just the coolest people ever. And I think they're the reasons we're as curious as we are is because if we didn't know the answer to something or we're curious about something, they were like, let's look it up. You don't want to know what that dish is? Let's go make it. I love it. It sounds so sweet and fun and warm. Okay, I have just two more questions for you before we wrap it up. So for anyone who's listening is there anything that you wish people would know or could know about cheese that you just want to get that message out there? Yes. <laughs> Don't be afraid to go to a cheese shop. I think it can be very intimidating for people. I think a lot of people don't even know what they like in cheese. Like the store is so limited, like main grocery store, I think, to what you can actually like a Mary, like you mentioned earlier on that like the American cheese scene right now is really cool. Well, in artisan cheese, I think something that people should understand, just like with vintage to vintage on wine, mm. wheel to wheel sometimes can be completely different experiences. When you're dealing with an artisan product, obviously big, larger makers, the bigger you get, people are trying to make a consistent product, but that a lot of people don't realize how seasonal cheese is. So like when the cows and the goats are on grass from spring into summer, like you know, middle of summer, when I know the goats are on grass, I'm eating all the fresh chef I can find because you can taste it in the cheese. And there's certain cheeses that I like to eat in the winter mm. that are things that were made with summer milk and then aged and released in the winter because during the winter, they're not eating grass. They're eating dried grass. In the or Midwest. the grass changes altitude. So you're having either it's meadow grass versus alpine, right? Like, so you have an animal that's being moved up and down a mountain and the milk is totally different based on the diet of the animal throughout the year. And that means the cheese is different. So what I want everyone to know is like when you do go into a cheese shop, number one, ask that cheesemonger what they're excited about, because that's going to be the secret. You're going to get three cheeses that like they're pumped on that day yeah, and are probably thing, yeah. the best thing that you're ever going to taste. And it probably wasn't what you were coming in to buy, but it's going to surprise you. Mm -hmm. And then also ask about what's in season. And then you can really start to understand and wrap your arms around what seasonality in artisan cheese looks like. Yeah. Because that's something that, you know, growing up in California where it's 70 degrees year round, we like sometimes lose track of what a season is because you can have a strawberry year round, which is not normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's really nice to sometimes get in touch with what seasonality in your community and your food looks like. Right. And then my final question. So our podcast is called Being Home with Hunker. And I know we talked a little bit about your home growing up. But talking about you now as adults, let's start with you, Sarah. What does being home mean to you? Being with the people I love. I always feel home when I'm with my loved ones, doesn't matter where I am. Home for me is definitely my family. It's not a physical place for me. Yeah. What about you, boo? Yeah, I think that's the answer. I think usually home is like family time and usually meal time together feels the most like home to me. Yeah. There really is something about sharing food 
with friends and family. If you close your eyes right now, listening to this, and you think about the last most amazing meal you had, I dare you to take the thought one step further. And like, was it actually the food or was it the company? And so many times when I go back to repeat something that I loved and thought was delicious, and maybe it doesn't meet the expectation and it's not the restaurant's fault, the company just isn't there. And so much of like what we love about food and cheese boards and bringing people together home, those connections around a dinner table or meals with your loved ones, that's where the good stuff is. That's we're sharing a cheese board. Yeah. That's why we love cheese boards because you're sharing something ultimately. Mm-hmm. It's like an act of love right there. Amazing. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I so appreciate it. We're so honored. Thank you so much for reaching out. It was very nice to meet you. Nice meeting you too. I will see you at your store someday. Okay, happy Happy holidays. holidays. Thanks, you too. To learn more about Lady & Larder, visit their website, ladyandlarder.com. If you're in the Los Angeles area, visit their store in person in Santa Monica. But if not, check out their virtual cheese and charcuterie board building class and their products online. You can also find out more on Instagram at Lady and Larder. Also in our show notes, we have other episodes we think you might like, such as my chat with rum maker, Alexandra Dorda. Thank you for listening to Being Home with Hunker. For more information about this episode or others, visit hunker.com forward slash podcast. And if you don't already, please follow our show. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review and share it with your friends. It really does help. Being Home with Hunker is produced by me, Lori Gunning Grossman. Eve Epstein is our executive producer. The podcast is recorded and mixed at Night Shift Audio. Theme music by Jonathan Grossman. Special thanks to our team at Hunker, senior designer Maury Men, and director of audience development Gina Goff. Hunker's mission is to inspire and empower you to create a space that expresses who you are, shows off your unique style, and makes your life happier and more productive. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm talking to myself. What was that mmm yeah from? That wasn't me. There was a voice over that said mmm. <laughs>